Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Keith Miller from Madrigal Pharmaceuticals. Uh, we're pleased to support uh, this program today on non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, uh, presented by two people you know very well, Drs. Maz Norden and Marcelo Kukamas. Uh, we hope you find it to be an informative discussion and look forward to the discussion that it engenders. Maz, the floor is yours. So it's a true honor to be here today to talk about this pandemic and how things are emerging and the involvement of our understanding of the disease, especially as hepatologists and gastroenterologists. I think all of us at one point realized how much we don't know. I mean, today's example of talking about disparities is like, it was really eye-opening. Um, like, we don't have enough studies. We don't have studies, clinical trials in Asia and, and, and Middle East. Um, there's one study on NITs. Um, there the, the are very few. And what I'm alluding to is basically like the mechanisms that came throughout the years and as a hepatologist and gastroenterologist were eye-opening. So those are my disclosures and Marcelo's disclosures. Uh, there are two, they're not both mine. So let's talk about definition of epidemiology and comorbidity, especially for the people online. Um, just to give you like uh, an update live, we have I'm fortunate to have like world experts here. Rohit is sitting here, Elena Allen, Naima Khoury, Zubair, and that's what I can see from here. So it's an honor to have all these people in this room. So non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Now the big umbrella is the NAFLD. And we talked about that extensively today and the, the difference between NAFLD and MAFLD. And previously the left spectrum of the disease, we used to call it, as simple steatosis. Now, if you go to the literature, you will see it more NAFL without the D, probably because it's not causing as much disease as the more advanced stages. So we're taking out the D if you want to think about it that way. And this happened where, where you have steatosis by 5% in the liver. And as you all know, we used to call it the two-hit hypothesis and now know they're multi-multi-hits and they are new players, including microbiome and genetics and all this. So the disease will progress eventually to the more advanced form, which is the non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, which includes, in addition to the fat, I tell my patients, steatosis, NASH is inflammation on top of steatosis. That's what I tell my patients patients, like kind of gas on fire. But for us physicians, uh, we know it's a disease of steatosis, ballooning, and inflammation. And there are two types of inflammation, particular for NASH, the lobular inflammation and the poral inflammation. The lobular inflammation is the one that we have in the NASH score by David Kleiner. And as you all know, there are multiple, multiple studies that they have shown the people that they get in trouble are those with NASH and fibrosis and F2. Data came from Rohit Lumba's group meta analysis, Hextrom group showing that patients with F2 and higher, they are the patients that they have morbidity and mortality that are related to the liver. There was a New England Journal paper that came out recently that showed, and we have to be careful with interpretation, the F3 and F4 patients, they had way, way, way higher chances on odds ratio of having morbidities and mortalities. Uh, but a lot of people started saying, well, maybe the F2 is not so important. And the answer is by all of us, absolutely not true. Uh, the F2 is 
you don't want to study for your exam the day before. You need to start early. And this is the, the F2 patients that you want to start treating them so they don't get to the F3 and F4. At least that in my, in my mind and many others, that's, that's the message. And those here, I, I'm showing you like just a picture uh, of what we talked about. The histology is steatosis, lobular inflammation, ballooning that define NASH. And there is a histological calling, which is the Brunt criteria. And there is a semi-quantitative tool, which is the David Kleiner criteria, which we use for clinical trial, not necessarily to diagnose NASH, rather for entry criteria for clinical trial and following the patients in clinical trials. And the stages are one to four, four being cirrhosis. And we just talked about the fibrosis stage two. This is the most common slide of the day, uh, data. And actually those are smartly done in two studies in one slide, two meta-analyses. On the top of the circle, you'll see the prevalence of NAFLD in the general population in a certain continent or certain area of the world. And it's about in the 25%. In the bottom, you see the prevalence of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease with type 2 diabetes. And the numbers are quite alarming, as we have been talking all morning, is uh, 51%, and it goes even in, in the United States, and even goes up higher to 67% in the Middle East and other parts of the world. So something... The type 2 diabetics, I, I call type 2 diabetes beast in this disease. Also importantly to know that there are many other conditions that your patients might have. So obesity and type 2 diabetes, I think Ken Kosi earlier today showed very nice studies with the association of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. But really, like most hepatologists and gastroenterologists have seen these others. PCOS, you have a lot of, unfortunately, younger women with PCOS that they are unable to lose weight. They are insulin resistant, and they commonly have uh, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So keep an eye on those. And the endocrine system, if our endocrinologists are here, will be happy. The endocrine system have been shown to be a major, major contributor and associated with the liver. So a lot of our patients have importantly hyperthyroidism, obstructive sleep ap apnea, hypopituitarism, hypokinetism, and the, the, the skin disease uh, psoriasis that was published by, by Harrison a few years ago. The, on the right, you'll see the international criteria of the uh, definition of the metabolic syndrome. You need three uh, of them. So it's very important and to look for those. Back in the days, we used to tell our patients or our referring doctors, hey, pay attention to the ALT, ASD as a first thing. Nowadays, and if I have NAFL patients, as you know, liver enzymes can be normal despite advanced liver disease. I, I look at the patient when they walk in, if there is obesity, I look at their BMI and I look at their lipid panels and their blood pressures. Uh, so those are, as we all know from for the last decade, are key factors for non uh, metabolic syndrome and non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So let's look at the cousins here. And the reason why I say cousins, these guys are all related. And you have non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. I'll say type 2 diabetes, more than a cousin, probably a sibling. Uh, they have a lot shared in common. But most importantly, you have non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Ken mentioned it earlier. You have higher chance of getting type 2 diabetes, or there's 
association also more with diabetes by 2.2 times. On the other way around, if you have type 2 diabetes and metabolic syndrome, you're way more likely to develop a, a fibrosis and advanced fibrosis from two to six times. This is important. And let's see other similarities. So if you have an alcoholic fatty liver disease, and a lot of us started focusing on the heart in our patients, because you'll be surprised what you find, even like coronary artery disease in, in younger folks, there's a two times increase in cardiovascular liver disease in NAFL. There's a one and a half time increase in CKD. And of course, we all know that uh, NAFL has been associated with hepatocellular carcinoma, and it increased the odds significantly from 10 to 100 times. It's the leading cause for increasing the incidence of hepatocellular carcinoma. Similarly, the type 2 diabetics and the metabolic syndrome people, they do have increased cardiovascular disease and they do have CKD. So they are cousins and we have unfortunately a bunch of complications from these diseases that they often happen together or if they did not happen today, they will happen tomorrow. So this is numbers from the world. What's the disease prevalence? We showed you earlier the UNASI's meta-analysis data and it's thought that 25% of adults around the world, they have non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Uh, Stephen Harrison, Naimel Corey data, they showed that it's higher in certain parts of the country or use more accurate diagnostic tools. 25% of those, they progress to NASH then about 25% go to cirrhosis. So luckily, not everyone is progressing, but there is a significant number of people. And it's just going to increase and increase. And I think we're all here for that and to help our patients. I was actually striked earlier by King Kosi's slides that he showed in 2045, there's the 800 million number coming up from 400 million. It's just to see like what our children and grandchildren will have in the future. This is rejection data from Estes Lital. This is a very well-known paper. What would be the scenario in 2030? I said King Kusi showed us earlier the 2045, but this is now full data and it detailed it by fibrosis. And it shows you by 2030, there's going to be 63% increase on all spectrums of the disease. So that is significant. And look at the fibrosis stages, like, for instance, the cirrhosis, the light blue on the top, this is 1.3% of them is going to increase to 3.5% of the population. So that's quite a significant number. There are data here in terms of the burden on, on our system and liver transplantation. So a couple of data, uh, one came from Zubair about the NASH and its role in the increased prevalence of HCC and increased transplant. We also published data that NASH is the leading cause of transplantation in women by 2016. In men, it's alcohol the leading cause. In women, it is NASH. Overall, alcohol first followed by NASH, but we have so many undiagnosed NASH people, so who knows what's the real story. The figure on the right shows you like how NASH is progressing in terms of indication of liver transplantation, and it just tells you that the NASH is elephant in the room when it comes to transplantation. I can argue also alcoholic hepatitis is increasing, but it's more we're allowing them not, not to get transplanted. Pathophysiology. I think a lot of people online or in the room want to know why we're talking about thyroid hormone receptors and the liver. I've been asked this question multiple times, but let's go to the basics of NASH first. 
So you have the liver cell, the hepatocytes, should be healthy on the left. It should not have any fat in it. When you get multiple reasons to get fatty liver, increase the novel lipogenesis, gaining weight, decrease free fatty acid delivery to the liver, the hepatocytes fills with fat and over time it becomes injured. And the key concept here of the whole injury is lipotoxicity that start the whole cascade. This lipotoxicity lead to apoptosis in the hepatocytes, start the process of the ballooning, and of course, the inflammatory cascade that includes immune cell disturbances, activity of the sinusoidal endothelium, the myofibroblastic and cell cell activation, and the reactive ductal cells. And the whole cascade started by lipotoxicity and this inflammation lead eventually to the wound healing process of the liver, the one you see it on the skin, it happens in the liver. The liver is trying really to heal, but what you end up with actually eventually fibrosis and cirrhosis. So why thyroid hormone in the liver? And that has been a common question I have been asked by the hepatologist as well as the gastroenterologist. Well, actually, since the 1930s, the endocrinologist, they know that the thyroid hormone receptors are actually key in regulating cholesterol, serum, and liver. So this has been around for a long time. And I'm going to go to this figure in, in more details in, this, in, in two slides from now. But if you look at the thyroid hormone receptors, it affects synthesis and the novel lipogenesis of the liver. These processes are usually increased in NAFL patients and NASH patients. Thyroid hormone receptors also play a role in the secretion via LDL. They also work on the mitochondria and the free fatty acid beta-oxidation, as well as they have a role in the uptake from the peripheral tissue. And we'll get to that in, in a subsequent slide, but I can tell you in general, it has been found that people with liver injury, no matter what's the injury, they have this impairment of the thyroid hormone signaling in the liver. And also, it has been shown over and over that the impairment of the thyroid hormones signaling can lead to steatosis. But before I go to that, I just want to remind you of a couple of things. So your, for those online, for instance, your thyroid is here. It secretes T4. This is regulated by the pituitary that is controlled by the hypothalamus. So the T4, you have it also in the cells, you do have T3, which is the active form, which acts intracellularly. And there are receptors that these hormones work on. You have the Th alpha and the Th beta. And the Th alpha usually, remember this Th alpha, that's that, not, not, you don't want those. Those are in the heart and in the bone. Th beta, are in the liver and the kidneys. So when we tackle the effects of lipid metabolism in the liver, you want two things. You want something specific to TH beta and it affect the liver ones. And that's what you're looking for with the lipid metabolism signal of the liver. So let's see what happened in the liver. You get the T4, and I, as I told you, the T3 is the active form. In a healthy liver, you have T4 getting converted to T3 via the adenosine 1. 
So look at this green bar that is thicker, and this is the healthy pathway it's going to. Also, there is some conversion via the adenosine 3 to the inactive T3. We don't want that as much. So you see that in healthy liver, it's not as much. What happens in the injured liver, it's the opposite. This deadenosine 1 pathway becomes less relevant or less active versus going from the T4 to the inactive T3 becomes more prominent. So what you want is the top, we don't want the bottom. And let's look now at the ratio, how we look at this impairment. If you have the TC3 to RT3, which is the inactive, decreased, that means you're heading the wrong direction. So let's look in particular in the hepatic lipid metabolism and the role of thyroid hormones and thyroid hormone receptors. So here in the list, you have the functions of the thyroid hormones and the thyroid hormone receptors. De novo lipogenesis and synthesis. Let's talk about that for a second. You know that de novo lipogenesis is crucial for fatty liver. There's increase of that. So part of this pathway is you heard about enzymes like ACC and FASIN. So ACC and FASIN, as you all know, they are companies going directly to those, try to suppress them, the ACC as well as the FASIN. Well, there are data showing that the T3 and thyroid hormones regulate the ACC as well as the FASIN. In terms of synthesis, the HMG coenzyme A, it's a major player and a major step in cholesterol metabolism. Well, again, HMA coenzyme A, what, is, what does regulate it? Well, insulin, glucose, for instance, estrogen, glucosteroids, and thyroid hormones. Indeed, it's thought that the thyroid hormones are one of the major regulators, more than others, for the HMG CoA. Let's move down fatty acid oxidation and mitophagy and mitochondrial biogenesis. So the Th beta plays a role on the free fatty acid oxidation into the mitochondria through beta oxidation. So it's involved in that process. And finally, cholesterol metabolism. The liver take cholesterol and try to convert it to bile acid and we dump it through the bile. So thyroid hormones and thyroid hormone receptors regulate part of this process via CYP7A1. So I show you here that the crucial steps that involves the pathogenesis of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, such as de novo lipogenesis, fatty acid oxidation, the mitochondria and cholesterol metabolism are affected and regulated by thyroid hormones and thyroid hormone receptors. And back to that, what you really want is the Th beta to target it for lipid metabolism in the liver and not the Th alpha. So whenever you have agents that agonisms for the Th beta, this is the home run that you're looking for. I hope I didn't bore you with that back in medical school stuff, but I'll pass the uh, mic to my friend Marcelo.